Freebooters Network. Hi, this is Devin Trey from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Exploding Dice Radio. We hope you enjoy the show. Exploding Dice Radio. Welcome to episode 16 of Exploding Dice Radio, the podcast about all things Firestorm Armada, Dystopian Age, and Uncharted Seas. My name is Andy, also known as Ruckdog on the forums. And I'm Josh, also known as Seer K. Well, Josh, we're back. The first episode of EDR for 2021, and we have a lot of new developments to talk about for both Dystopian Wars and Firestorm Armada. Yeah, yeah, with the uh, impending release of the new starter set for Dystopian Wars, and we have a, uh, a barely month-old iteration of the new uh, beta test rules for Firestorm. Oh, yes, oh, yes. I mean, we're going to discuss all the big announcements and revelations made about Dystopian Wars 3.0. You know, Josh, after a long wait and a long development period, the game is almost here. <laughs> End of this month, we'll be having that two-player starter set in our hands. Uh, that's even available for pre-order right now, but we'll discuss that and more later on. Uh, we'll also be talking about, as you said, the developments for the ongoing Firestorm beta test. Uh, there's been some changes since we last recorded, uh, but that's a good thing, I think. It shows War Cradle is continuing to take an active part in the development of the beta, so that's that's encouraging to see, I think. Yep, definitely. <laughs> but before we get to all of that Dystopian Wars and Firestorm Armada goodness, uh, we have some modeling and gaming to talk about. Uh, so, Josh, what have you been up to with playing and painting lately? Uh, well, I haven't actually been able to do a whole lot of playing due to lockdown rules and whatnot. Uh, I have been delving into the world of Battletech, though, uh, putting mechs together and doing some online play with the uh, online app Mega Mech, playing some games with friends remotely and whatnot. <laughs> Nice, nice. I've been following that on your uh, your Facebook profile there, the pictures you've been posting up of all those mechs. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I have a, a friend that has a 3D printer, and he's been enjoying printing some miniatures for me. So that aren't, uh, you know, they're a little variation on the uh, different mech designs and whatnot that people have come up with. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have sort of dabbled a little bit in uh, the whole Battletech universe. I've actually got the starter set that they released, oh, maybe about six, seven years ago. I've got a copy of that uh, that I've sort of looked through a little bit. have never really gotten around to playing it, sadly, but uh, it is something that's uh, intrigued me in the past. And then also, um, I even have an old copy of the Battle Space box game. <laughs> oh, Which is, I love battle! I know, love battle space. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have yet to try that out either. As a matter of fact, it's an unpunched copy. It's open, but it's unpunched, so all of the cardboard counters that the game came with are still in their little sheets. I've never gotten around to punching them out myself, but I do intend to get around to that one day. So <laughs> that's, that's as near mint as you can get unpunched. Like seriously. <laughs> well, you know that's just it. I, I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge. 
person about, oh, it has to be mint and I've got to be, you know, completely pristine or something like that. You, know, you get games like that to play and they're meant to be played. I'm, I'm sort of the same way with toys. I'm in no way a, a collector of toys that keeps everything boxed on the shelf forever, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Uh, so, um, well, that's great. Um, so I've been up to a few things myself. Um, unless you had something else that uh, I sort of ran you off the road with there, Josh. Oh, no, no. Let's, uh, let's get in to see what you've been doing, because <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't been doing a whole lot. <laughs> well, uh, for modeling, um, I've been finishing up some small models, some frigates and some destroyers and the like for my uh, Covenant fleet, formerly Covenant of Antarctica, now Covenant of the Enlightened under version 3.0. And this is sort of rounding out the batch of models I started painting, oh, about two, two and a half years ago now. <laughs> so it's been a very off and on process, more off than on, but it's finally done, at least with that batch. I still have piles of Covenant models and even bigger piles of Dystopian models in general to paint, but at least I got this little batch done that has sort of been hanging out there for a while. So that's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, that's always good. Uh, and, and sort of in some non-war cradle stuff, I've cleaned, assembled, and primed a whole bevy of one eighteen hundred scale World War II ships for Victory at Sea by Warlord Games. So <laughs> having a little fun putting together some Japanese and American cruisers and destroyers and the like. That's been fun. I would say I've been meaning to check that game out, actually. It's it's a fun game. It's got, you know, it's it's not the same as Dystopian Wars or Fire Storm Armada, but it's a game that's about a similar level of complexity, I would say. And it's fun. It's The mechanics are interesting. The changes that Warlord's done since the previous version of the game all the way back in the Audis <laughs> has uh, really kicked it up a notch, I think. So it's proven to be quite popular. And, and to be honest with you, I'm just happy to know that there is a World War II naval game that's in mass publication again. <laughs> it's not a somewhat obscure thing you have to go to War Game Vault to find. You can walk into your local game store, and there's a good chance it'll be sitting there on the shelf right there for you. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. Um, so for gaming, well, like you, Josh, my gaming routine has been curtailed due to current world events, but I have managed to get in a fair bit of computer gaming. I, after five years of playing, have managed to finally get all of the Steam achievements for Fallout 4. <laughs> That's a little project <coughs> I was working on. And I've picked up a new game called Satisfactory. Josh, have you heard of this one? No, I actually have not heard of that. So it is a factory building game. So the emphasis in Satisfactory is on the factory part. And you are playing as a worker, a pioneer, that's gotten unceremoniously dumped on a random alien planet. And your job is to harvest resources, build factories, and then via a space elevator send various components up to orbit for your corporate masters. That's basically like what you're doing in the game. But the way it's been designed and presented in the gameplay loop, it's it's really addictive, and I've been having a blast with it. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. Um, it's it's still in early access, and it's been in early access for about a year though, so it's quite you know it's it's not completely done, but it's very much a complete enough game that you can play it for quite a long time and not get bored with it. There's, there's an awful lot to do 
even though it's, it's not quite complete yet. Uh, my guesstimate is it's probably about 80-ish percent done. They're talking about a final, final version going live in next year sometime. Um, they're talking about adding some narrative elements to it and uh, that type of thing. Uh, they're not in there right now, but like I said, there's an awful lot to do with the game, and it's satisfying enough with its various gameplay loops that, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like a complete game, even though it's not. So that, that's cool. Well. Satisfactory by Coffee Stain Studios. If you like things like the base building in Fallout 4 or the uh, the game Subnautica, if you've ever played that, or uh, game you know 2D games like Factorio, which I haven't played, but I've heard good things about. This is, this might be very much the game for you. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah. I might have to check that out. Um, now, as far as tabletop gaming goes, I actually did get a socially distanced, all precautions taken game of Dystopian Wars in just like last night, as a matter of fact. Uh, played here locally with my friend Matt. He's the fellow that I've played various uh, games of the beta with in the past. He was even on the show, uh, you know, a while back. I think probably about a year and a half ago now. It's hard to believe it's been that long. <laughs> And we use the beta rules, of course. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, the beta rules have been pulled off the WarCradle website, so we were just going off the files we had saved on our hard drives and tablets, basically. And it was it was fun. Really enjoyed it. I got my Covenant fleet to the table for the first time since I had just finished painting them up. And, of course, Matt was running his Union, uh, you know, the which is now what the old uh, Federated States of America are called. And it was a good time. It, it really helped with sort of getting the gears turning again with the um, with the game that you know we haven't touched for over a year now, but it's finally here, almost in its finalized form. So it'll be interesting to see here in a bit when we get the final rules to see exactly what's differed in the core mechanics and also the unit stats from the the beta test rules. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yep. 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 Oh, and then uh, finally, too, I got to play a whole bunch of board games uh, while I was visiting family out in Indiana. Uh, you know, played things like, we played some light things like Cards Against Humanity, but we also played some things like Ticket to Ride and Catan, and we even played some crunchier stuff like Star Trek Ascendancy. So, a <laughs> whole bunch of board gaming going on over the two weeks we were visiting. Not quite every night, but most nights we were pulling out a board game or two and just having a good time with it. So, that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, the group here has been trying to figure out how we can do a uh, a game of Twilight Imperium while we're while we're uh, trying to social distance and whatnot. Oh, so have you ever played Twilight Imperium before, Josh? Oh yeah, we play it quite a we've we've played it quite a bit here actually. <laughs> oh, jealous. So I would have to say that I am Twilight Imperium curious. It is definitely a game that ticks a lot of boxes for me. It's a 4X game. It takes place in, you know, it's got an outer space, galaxy-spanning setting. Um, and I've always heard uh, good things about it. But I've just never had a chance to actually play it. You know, I've never brought myself to just buy my own copy. Basically because I, it's one of those things where it'd probably just sit on the shelf because I'd never have anybody to play with, you know. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I've always been Twilight curious, so. <laughs> yeah, it's multi, It's best played with at least four players, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like we usually have a full up, like we max out the amount of players you can play, generally speaking. And what's nice, they just released the expansion for the new uh, edition of it. 
So it expands the amount of players you can get. So you're up to eight players again. And we'll do whole like 12 or 14 hour sessions of playing eight player games of Twilight Imperium. Nice. So we've been trying nice. to, we've been trying to be like, can we just like quarantine for two weeks and then get together at somebody's house to do this? And we're like, well, we really can't afford that as much as we'd like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you how long it was taking you guys to play a game because it, Twilight Imperium has a reputation for taking a long time to play. <laughs> oh yeah, especially when you get the big multiplayer games that go like we we we've done like sixteen hour games before with the previous edition. Oof. This new edition does play faster. You're supposed to be able to play a game in like eight hours, but you know the way we do it, it's usually still like ten, twelve. It's a whole day experience. Wow. Well, it's great that you've got a group of friends that are into the game enough to be willing to put up with the long playtime and still get through. That sounds pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun time. We, you know, it's like I said, we make a day of it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, uh, jealous. That sounds really awesome. Well, uh, I think that probably is enough blathering on about painting and playing type stuff. So why don't we go ahead and move on to what I'm sure everyone out there in listener land is eager for us to start talking about, which is Dystopian Wars 3.0. So uh, here's what we know so far. I'm going to go through kind of a list of the various announcements and products that War Cradle has put out through both the blog and their Facebook page. And, of course, Josh, uh, feel free to interject uh, at any point here and if there's something you particularly want to discuss. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, go ahead and uh, get started here. All right. All right. So first off, of course, is the hunt for the Prometheus. This is the massive two-player starter set that features good-sized fleets for both the Russian Commonwealth and the Covenant of the Enlightened, about 30 models all totaled. It is now available for pre-order and is due out at the end of this month, uh, January 2021, if you happen to be listening to this at some point in the far future. <laughs> so, Josh, I got to say, the star set uh, looks really good as far as star sets go. This one has all of the major wickets met here. It's got lots of nice models. It's got all of the various pieces that you would need for two people to actually play the game as far as rules, dice, tokens, Two decks of the Victory and Valor cards, that type of thing. And it has a campaign book, even, that uh, will hopefully have a series of missions that will allow you to gradually learn the game with increasing levels of detail and difficulty as you go. I think this looks like a fairly complete package. Uh, I've already got my copy pre-ordered. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, have you had a chance to sort of look through the, the contents they've sh been showing for this, Josh? Yeah, I actually have been looking at the different uh, blog posts and stuff about what the content of the starter box is going to have. And I'm glad that they're doing plastic models. You know, they've said they've been, they're going to be doing plastics for all the, for both Dystopian Wars and Firestorm. Yes. And the fleets look like the fleets look really great. I'm a big, uh, uh, I had a Covenant fleet when I was uh, still you know, doing stuff for Spartan Prussians are my first love, but I still had a covenant fleet. So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. uh, but it, it's nice to see like a real legit starter set. And, uh, like I did the conversion, uh, between pounds cause it was on pre-order. I looked on Wayland games and, you know, it was, uh, I forget what the pound cost was, but it came out to about $115, and 
not bad. Like it's a legit starter set. I definitely worth the money. Yeah, yeah, that's that was sort of my thoughts as well on it. Um, so that's going to be sort of the big thing for January. According to their website, it's going to be coming out shipping towards the very end of the month. So we still got a few weeks to go until it's here. Um, and then next month in February, they're going to be releasing what they're calling a gubbins set. You got to love that wacky British jargon there. Um, basically, this is a box that's got a copy of the rules, and then it's got the templates, the dice, the cards, whatever, for one player to use for playing the game. So the goal of this set, to me, is to provide an easy point of entry uh, for those of us out there that have the older Spartan models, maybe aren't interested in a two-player starter set, but would like to be able to get 3.0 to the table without having to buy all the other stuff in the starter set you don't need. And as far as that goes, I think that's a, a pretty decent idea. Um, I know that that's probably going to be appealing for a lot of the folks I know who have, like I said, a bunch of the older Spartan models hanging around <laughs> to play with there. Yeah, well, and it's I've noticed that War Cradle does that. They did that for Wild West Exodus. They have like a gubbin, Gubbins box yes. that has the rules and whatnot. I think that's going to be a, a, a common thing. With all, any games they release, you know, so we'll probably see one with Firestorm, too. Like you said, for those people that already have models and just want to jump in and don't necessarily want to buy the two-player starter. Yes, yeah, ex exactly. And, you know, I think that this is a pretty savvy move because I mean, this is a problem you run into with pretty much any game when it changes edition and... You know, the two-player star says sort of like the really only place you can go to get things like the new rule book or new components that the new version of the game might require. I remember that this was kind of a problem that the transition to Dystopian Wars 2.0 had uh, that was a bit of a problem where for a while the only way to get the 2.0 rule book was through the two-player starter set and you know that was a neat starter set it had the you know the americans and the japanese in it but if you didn't really have either one of those fleets it was sort of a hard sell to get into that uh, two-player starter set with all the other stuff you didn't need right so yeah yeah and it's just like you see that with a lot of games there's very few games i've played that you know, they don't initially release a separate rule book. You know, it's just the two player. I think the only game that I've ever played that I still play that uh, releases literally just the rule book with the two player starter is uh, Infinity. Yeah. And that's like, like, it's more of a, and they do a digital download at the same time, too. So you don't even necessarily have to buy the book. Nice, nice. Well, you know, that is one other point that should be made is that as of now, War Cradle does not have any plans to do any additional two-player starter sets. Because if you remember during the later phase of uh, Spartan's time with Dystopian Wars, they were putting out random two-player starter sets here and there. You know, they had the Black Wolf and the Italian set, and there was a couple of others. That's not going to be the, the case here with War Cradle. They've basically put out, uh, Stuart has, I think, on Facebook that, hey, the Hunt for the Prometheus, that's pretty much going to be it for us for two-player starter sets, at least for a good while. So if you're not interested in the two-player set, again, the Gubbins box is going to be the way to go. So that makes sense. Uh, also next month in February, uh, that's when War Cradle is going to be putting out the Dystopian Wars 3.0 digital rules. These will be available off the Dystopian Wars website for free. So you'll be able to go to the website and just download them. 
And it's going to be put out in not only English, but also French, German, Spanish, and Polish as well. So if you are in the greater EU and you're interested in Dystopian Wars 3.0, you should have more language options come February. All right, so that brings us on to March. And this is something that I'm very excited about. Josh, I know you are too. It's the return of the Prussians. The Prussian Imperium will be getting their fleet box in March. This is going to be the first full fleet box that War Cradle has done for Dystopian Wars 3.0 because uh, the the difference here is that it's actually going to have the large models, so it's not going to be just a small medium release. And you'll be able to do things like build a aircraft carrier out of it, or you'll be able to build a battleship out of it. You'll have the various plastic and resin pieces in that box set to have what you need to build those ships. Uh, Josh, have you had a chance to look at kind of the finalized designs that they posted up on their blog a little while ago? I actually, I think they look pretty cool. I mean, they're not the classical, you know, Spartan designs, but I think, you know, for a new, I wouldn't say improved, but something different. You know, it's... Yeah, they kind of grew on me the more I looked at them. Right. Well, so the designs for the Prussians aren't everyone's favorites, and it's a matter of taste, and we all understand that. Uh, but I would like to go on the record by saying that uh, I like both warships and trains. So the new War Cradle Prussian designs where you drive the trains onto the ship uh, in order to bring the guns on board, that feels like kind of a chocolate and peanut butter combination for me. So uh, suffice to say, I think I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, once we get past the month of March, the details on the schedule become a bit less defined. And his blog, Stuart, mentioned that the following are scheduled to release in the first half of the year. So that would be, you know, sometime between now and the end of June, I guess. So we're talking battle fleets for the Union, the Crown, the Sultanate, and the Alliance. And for those of you that are looking for a decoder ring here, uh, the Union, that is the, basically the evolution of the Federated States of America. Uh, the crown, that is the uh, basically the, the war cradle version of the Britannians. Uh, the Sultanate, that's, that's fairly obvious that that's the Ottomans. And then finally, the alliance, that is the Latin alliance. And so that's going to be including the, uh, the French, the Italians, and a couple others. So you've got a lot of stuff to look forward to by the time we get to the middle of summer, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. There should be quite a bit of choice uh, for various factions and upgrade ships for those various factions. So something to look forward to for just about everybody, I think. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised they're not doing Blazing Sun. Like, they're doing the Ottomans before the Blazing Sun, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, it is is interesting. I don't know, obviously, what the thought process is. It could just be that that's where their development process is most along furthest along at, I guess you could say. But we'll see. I mean, we, we should probably have Stuart on the show at some point. Maybe he can tell us directly. <laughs> yeah. No, but I wouldn't be surprised probably. to see the, the Japanese out by, you know, the, the Celestials or Celestians out by the end of the year. Um, because it seems like if they're able to keep that schedule, which so far they seem like they are on track based on what they've said on Facebook, despite all of the lockdowns that have been happening over in uh, England lately, uh, in Britain lately. Uh, if they're able to hold to that schedule, that's going to be pretty good. That's a pretty uh, aggressive release rate, I would say. And so by the time we get to the end of 2021, we might have a, a pretty 
well-rounded selection of factions out there, but we'll see. Yeah, I honestly am kind of impressed with what they've been able to do, considering how harsh the lockdowns have been in England. Like, I'm impressed by that they're able to produce what they're going to be producing, and it's great that they're communicating, you know, keeping in constant communication about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't want to oversell it. They're, they obviously have had some delays from the pandemic. Uh, everybody has, right? But it does. Oh, yeah. It does seem like the most recent lockdown has had a relatively light impact on their development and release schedule. But we'll see if that continues. You know, it, things could always change, right? So. Oh yeah, rapidly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, we'll stay on track. I, I gotta admit, I am quite excited about uh, getting my hands on all of the new goodies that are coming out. As I mentioned, I do have my pre-order in for the two-player starter set. So hopefully by the time we record next, I'll have had a chance to get my hands on the actual product, and I can give you some impressions and reviews here on the air uh, during the next episode. Uh, Josh, are you looking at getting into the starter set, or are you going to wait for the Gubbins box? No, I'm probably going to get the starter set. Um, I don't have any of my old Dystopian Wars models, so uh, I I and since Covenant is one of the fleets that I'm particularly interested in, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna and the Russians aren't too bad either, you know. Truth be told, uh, so I'm probably going to be buying into the starter. I'm going to try to get it through my local gaming store because I'm trying to support local business, but. Uh, you know, I got to see what the pre-order is through them to see how fast they can get it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I got to be honest. Um, my rationale for buying the initial starter set through War Cradle itself, or well, Wayland Games specifically, was that uh, at, because as a war host, they they gave us a, a little uh, Benny there uh, of giving us uh, slightly earlier shipping, just. Uh, and it's we still pay the same price and everything, just that they'll put us towards the top of the list for shipping so that we can get it a little earlier and start getting it prepped for demos and that type of thing. And that's something I'm definitely looking forward to doing once I get my hands on the set and get a chance to get it all painted up and nice and maybe make some cool terrain for it. It's getting it out to the stores to start running demos for folks, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I my main thing is I gotta find someone that is equally interested around here because mm -hmm. I tend to be more of a sci-fi crowd <laughs> right, around right. Lansing. Well, you know, the, it is somewhat advantageous that Dystopian Wars still has a rather science fiction-y feel to it. It's just not space, right? It's, True, you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of Victorian science fiction, as they call it. Um, so, some people have argued that it's getting to the point where it's not really steampunk. It's maybe more of a atom punk, not atom punk, but diesel punk. There we go. Too many punks out there. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't really bother with the semantics. I just go with, Hey, it looks cool. It's got kind of this anachronistic look to it. Um, and uh, it, it still has maintained that feel of something that you just don't see many other places. Right. I mean, I, I have no doubt. I'm very, very confident that when we get a hold of this thing and get it uh, painted up and on the table, it's going to turn some heads just because it's going to look unlike anything else that uh, is probably being played in the store at that moment. You know, it's just by the nature of being a naval game, it tends to have that advantage, right? So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't see a lot of naval 
games being openly played at a lot of shops, truth right. be told. Yeah. That's starting to change a little bit thanks to things like what we were talking about earlier with Victory at Sea. But there's still a lot of stuff. There's still a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, That uh, is out there that just doesn't see a lot of playing. So hopefully Dystopian Wars will kind of bring the naval gaming back into the mainstream even more than it has been, right? So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's got it's got the name behind it. And it's they have some very legit models. And that's what brings people in. And based off the beta, it's it's fairly fun, too. I mean, it is a fun game. I want to undersell the, the fact that it is worthwhile playing, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've read the rules, but I haven't actually been able to play. So, it, but you know, I like what I've read. You know, it's one of those things where, uh, just like the, it, it's kind of another case of like it is with the Prussian model redesign, right? Where it's different. It doesn't necessarily match perfectly with what Spartan was doing, but it's still neat. Um, the, the changes they've made to the game in a lot of cases have made it, uh, feel a bit smoother. They've made it feel a bit more, I wouldn't say logical, but maybe more user-friendly. There's a lot more, like, if you remember in the old Dystopian Wars days, there was things like, oh, I want to do this, but there's this rule that says I can't. And in a lot of those cases, now that's that little impediment sort of been removed, which just sort of makes the game feel a little a little nicer. Uh, one specific example I can give you, Josh, is let's say you've got a squadron of three cruisers, right? And yeah. you've got two of those cruisers uh, being attacked by SRS, by, you know, small aircraft, right? Yeah. Well, if you remember in the old Dystopian Wars game, you know, the uh, one cruise, the cruisers that are being attacked by the planes, they would use their full AA amount. And then the yeah. third cruiser that's not being attacked would have to choose which of his buddies he was going to help out with yep. the defending AA. You no longer do that. In this case, um, the... Uh, when one of the cruisers that's getting attacked rolls their AA, they get their A plus an additional dice from each of their two friends. So they get, if their base AA is, say, five, they'll get seven dice. And then yeah. the other guy that's getting attacked, assuming that the first cruiser didn't get completely killed by the air attack, when they roll their defense, it's going to be the same thing, seven dice. It's always just take your base and then add plus one for each member of the squadron. Uh, you no longer have to worry about, oh, I, I have to choose which one I want to support, that type of thing. Granted, that does take a little bit of agency and decision-making away, but at the same time, there's enough of the – it allows you to sort of not have to, quote-unquote, micromanage your anti-air defenses to a degree and allows you to focus on some bigger tactical questions, uh, which is nice. It just it just feels more, like I said, more convenient, uh, more um, – or, or less, uh, there's there's less. No, you can't do that type of stuff in the rules. <laughs> that makes any yeah. sense. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so I, I I I tend to I tend to like that. I just like the feel of the new rules, at least in the beta, which is why I'm very curious to see what if anything has changed when we finally get to the new rules. What I'm also interested to see with the new rules is not just what they've changed, but what they've added that wasn't in the beta. Now, there's this whole thing about having patrons for your fleet that's going to influence your, your fleet list building in some way. That was never really unveiled fully in the beta test. So that's going to be a new element that's added to it. And like we said earlier, there's unit stats. The finalized stats are going to be something that's going to be interesting to take a look at. Then we can start really thinking about our tactics in a more holistic and uh, detailed way. But, uh, 
you know, all signs point to this being a good thing. The early feedback from folks that got to play the finalized or semi-finalized version of the game at the various shows where Cradle was at prior to all the lockdowns was generally pretty positive. And so, fingers crossed that we'll have a winner on our hands here at the end of the month, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, reading, you know, the finalized version of it. Because, yeah, stuff can change between what the, like you said, I still have the, you know, the last iteration of the beta copy to read. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if what they tweaked, you know, the final tweaks on everything. Yeah. Well, and, and before we uh, sort of take a quick break here and, and move on to Firestorm, there is one thing I wanted to mention as well, that on top of all these product announcements, WarCradle has also done some major overhauls to the Dystopian Wars website, which is www.dystopianwars.com. Real hard to remember that one, right? And in addition to taking down the beta, they did add background documents for all of the major factions. And these are basically the fluff pages that are coming in the new rulebook. And so I highly recommend you guys give that a read. It does a great job of setting the stage for the War Cradle version of the, of the Dystopian Wars setting. And I think it's great that we're finally getting some more detailed looks at this new dystopian age that uh, War Cradle has created. And it also uh, shows that they are indeed gearing up for the actual release of the game now by having the, the website all lined up the way they like for what they're going to be posting as far as rule books and other things, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, well, um, obviously, as you can probably tell, <laughs> a bit excited about all of the developments we've got coming down the line for Dystopian Wars this year. Um, you know, as for the show here, we're going to continue to cover all the latest developments uh, to include product reviews and impressions faction profiles, perhaps some even uh, tactics discussions here as we actually get a chance to play the game. <laughs> so there's, there's going to be lots more to come as we move through the year. Uh, but for now, though, uh, we will take a quick break for our network sponsors, the Freebooters Network. And when we come back, we will be talking about developments with the Firestorm Armada beta. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Currently, humanity looks to the internet for its information. We have stood at the edge of despair, and would have fallen. If not for awesome podcasts, and their content of everything we love. Now these podcasts are all brought together in one place. Forged in like-mindedness, tempered with a community-oriented forum, covering all things geek, such as wargaming, board gaming, comics, movies, and more. Presenting a lineup of podcasts producing exclusive content for the fans. The Freebooters Network. Trolls want to steal our community. Let them try. Hey everybody, we're back. So, uh, for the second part of the show here, we are going to be talking about the Firestorm Armada 3.0 beta. Now, it's been a while uh, since we had an episode uh, way back in September. I think it actually went up on the network in early October. And since then, there's been quite a few changes, quite a few things added. And as Josh will talk about here in a second, a few things taken away from the the beta uh, the available off of the Firestorm Armada website. 
Um, so, so Josh, have you had a chance to do any more with the beta since we talked last, played it all, or had a chance to look through and see what's been changing on it? Well, it's mostly been reading. We haven't been able to really do any uh, uh, more games with uh, the latest iteration, the .09. Um, I think .07 was the last time we were able to actually play a game. That was before uh, the local gaming store, you know, completely just locked down saying no, no, you know, no one can play at the store even by special appointment, you know. Um, Mostly because they had a customer come in with COVID and then they had to close the store for two weeks. So, (laughs) Uh, but I've been doing some reading on the new, you know, the latest two iterations and things have been, there haven't been drastic changes i would say it seems like they're getting more into like tweaking things a little bit um because they're you know they have they have a vision they have a plan and they have things i think set to where they want it but things need to be dialed in and that's the stage we're at right now with the beta um uh, I think it's interesting that uh, we got the Relthosa, which I was very excited, in the beta stats. So we now have the Dendrenzi, the Relthosa, and the Ceruleans in the beta stats. Um, I like the ships. I like the special rules. Um, they're a little more adept at repairing their vessels, which you know I think is pretty apt considering their penchant for nanotechnology. Um, and... Uh, they did remove the frigates from the stats, though. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Like, we have battleships, we have carriers, we have cruisers, and we have destroyers. But we have no frigates. <laughs> so, I'm not sure why they removed the frigates, but it's, uh, I thought it was interesting. Hmm. Um, I mean, you can still play out, you know, you, evaluate all the rules for squadrons and stuff as they've changed. But uh, I think the the key testing element that was really testing the limits of the squadron rules and how you link, how you move, and whatnot was really in the frigates because the squadron sizes were big. Which... Um, you know, cause your cruiser squadrons are generally like three ships. Right. Right. And, uh, you have, you know, sing your single ships with the big, you know, the battleships and whatnot. Right. Yeah. The, the, what, the single base one, one to a squadron type ships. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, cause I mean, the frigates were in like six, you know, uh, squadrons of up to six and it's, more more difficult to maneuver said squadrons within the rules uh, to keep them so they're all oh wait oh the frigates are in there looking at them right now actually (laughs) frigates are in the Dendrenzi oh okay so they they took them away for some factions I guess huh 
Yeah, it's I I didn't see them for the Rothosa or the Cerulean's. Okay. So that means they're only they're in with the uh they're in with the Dendrensi. So the Dendrensi have their frequency. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying close enough attention, apparently. Oh, so, that's right. that happens. Well, I, so I, I do want to just reach back to the one point you were making where with these larger squadron sizes, it makes it difficult to maneuver around the whole squad. I, I, I suppose one issue you run into is that that's an awful lot of, like, just square inch area that a six strong squadron that's all in base to base contact uh, kind of covers, right? So it's going to be interesting trying to maneuver it around <laughs> the, the board in between yeah. the terrain and other units, right? Well, with the movement rules, it's, it's technically it's not that hard to, you know, move and whatnot. But when you bring them all into contact to link is where it gets difficult. Um, so the uh, the way they've changed like linking, you can't link in more than one firing arc. Yeah. Um. So you get with the fact you have more firing arcs now, you really have to tweak how everything's uh, positioned. Okay. So your positioning so, becomes more important, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, generally speaking, everything's, you know, from your lead ship and the squadron. But I don't know. It It's a little finicky right now, but that may be because I haven't played, been able to play it enough to really, uh, you know, kind of sink my teeth into it and really do it. <laughs> so, yeah. That's been that's been one of the major difficulties in in this whole thing and evaluating it is being able to play because you can't get a you can read the rules like fifty times but you can't really get a good grasp on things until you've played you know five or six games within you know an iteration of the beta rules so you know even if you like you don't like it like it whatever you still got to play it. Right. To really make a good judgment call. I will say I was really uh, uh, excited when they finally introduced the terrain rules. Um, because that was one of the, you know, we were beta testing the last games we played. We didn't have terrain. So it was like we're playing on a completely open board. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, we close the gap. We blow each other up. There's not a whole lot of strategy to this you know um but the uh they released the terrain rules and they've been tweaking those so i've actually been paying attention to those more uh because those are more uh of a tactical element and it affects your decisions you know your tactical decisions on the game um so uh coverage they're saying the play area should have. This is one of the newer uh, new things with the iteration of the .09 rules. Yeah, is that play area should have twenty five percent of its surface covered with terrain. Ooh. Yeah, which well, that's, that's, I, the, that's the same as two was, wasn't it? Well, two it was similar, but tables 
tended to be heavier than 25%. I mean, granted, 25% is the minimum, but looking at some of the uh, requirements on some of the types of terrain, uh, like if it's designated as large, mm-hmm. it, uh, it should be a minimum of 18 inches in diameter. Yeah, that's which huge. is pretty. Yeah, which is pretty big. So you like you have a nebula. It has to be at least that's a large nebula it has to be at least 18 inches, and that's yeah. like well that takes up a lot of room. I mean, <laughs> I, I, of course, here I am trying to do the the math on this. Um, that's got to be relatively close to an, a, a quarter of the table <gasps> space just on its own, an 18 inch diameter circle on a four by six, but. You know, one of the things that I found, right, is, you know, one of the friends that I played a lot of 2.0 with, uh, his name is Mike, he goes by Rijack on the forums out there, is he was very much into working out the terrain. You know, he ran events at Nova Open. He has a whole bunch of templates that are still up on his uh, uh, blog, actually. And yep. what, I, what, what we found in playing with his templates is that if you – Played with a quarter of the table coverage using terrain pieces that were of the recommended sizes, and you also maintained the recommended eight-inch separation between the pieces of terrain. You basically had the entire table covered with eight-inch lanes around everything. It was really interesting. It really sort of filled up the table once you spread yeah. it all out. So it, yeah. it sounds like the the terrain-heavy nature of the game from 2.0 is carrying forward into the, the beta, at least, it sounds like. Yeah, and granted, the only thing that's really designated as a like a large piece of terrain are nebulas. Yeah. And which I think would more or less be equivalent to like a gas cloud. Right. Because right. the, the terrain types are kind of expanded upon in the latest version. You know, you only had a limited, uh, like, four or five different kind of terrain types in 2.0. Basically, I mean, you had, like, asteroid fields, debris fields, and gas clouds. So, three. And then you had, like, derelict stations and miscellaneous things that really a lot of people didn't use. It was just gas clouds, asteroid fields, and space junk. You know, those were your three major ones. And... Now you, oh, comets. You had comets too, but that's in a miscellaneous. Right, right. Uh, but now you've got an expanded amount of terrain and one of your basic ones from the previous edition, a nebula. Yeah. So gas cloud essentially is designated as large. So all your neb, yeah. So your nebulas are going to be huge. Yeah, you, you you maybe have one on the table too if you're looking to do some sort of interesting scenario set up, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like because they're large and they have the cloud trait, mm. which uh, which obscures beam and kinetic weapons. Um, and you can't pass through them uh, unless if your speed is higher than four. So it's it's a big piece. Like you could plop one of these down in the center of the table and cause all sorts of havoc. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So it's interesting. Like, I, I really want to get a game in with the terrain rules, especially in their latest iteration. Yeah. Cause it adds, it adds a lot more depth. And it's, uh, you know, the, the dice pools. I wish they would have introduced terrain earlier because I think that would have more accurately, uh, been able to test things, especially like the dice pools for weapons and the, and the, the weapon qualities, Mm. uh, because we had some pretty lethal, like the lethality of kinetic weapons was ridiculous to start off with. Yes. And we're hearing about that from both you and other posters on the black ocean Facebook group talking about how the kinetic weapons were where it was at. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, didn't Drenzi rule the skies? It's okay. Uh, but I think having the terrain initially, because they wanted to test the game mechanics and whatnot, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I understand that, but terrain is part of the game mechanics. Like, that really kind of affects all the other aspects, you know, in a war game, like how you treat your terrain, what it does. You know, that can affect, like, all of a sudden you have some ships, you know, you think that are dialed in, but once you introduce the terrain, all of a sudden, oh, we have to go back and change these because the terrain really affected how effective they are now. Right, right. So it sounds like they're almost using the terrain as a a kind of a balancing mechanism on its own right, based on that. Yeah, and and it should be. I mean... It's, it's any war game, you know, it's one of the integral parts is, is terrain. Um, I mean, with the exception, probably like if you're playing a naval game on an open, like open ocean or, you know, something of that effect. Um, but despite it being a space combat game where you have the vastness of space, terrain has always been important in Firestorm Armada. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's that's really interesting. Now, Josh, I wanted to circle back around just a second to talk about the small ships for real quick. I'm, I'm wondering if they'll ever hit upon the idea or the concept of doing multiple ships to a base, sort of like how the old Halo Fleet Battles game did it with their frigates, where there was three or four frigates all on the same base and you just move the one base around. Yeah, I honestly, I'd like to see that. That system for Halo worked really well. Um, and you could change the, uh, the stat light changed based on the formation type. Yeah. And the formation type, you know, it was a visual thing on the base. Like you have like a, like a, uh, flying V, you know, formation, or you have an inverted V formation. Like the, the weapon stats were actually different based on the formation type. And I honestly think doing, uh, frigates, you know, on a squadron basis on one base, I think would clean up a lot of things in uh in firestorm at least with this version of the game you know because the with the movement and everything the way movement works the way with the you know they have multiple firing arcs now 
you know, instead of just four, we have six. Um, it's going to be easier to move around squadrons right. if they're on one base. Like, you just have a massive hex base with, like, five or six ships on it. You don't have to sacrifice the number of ships, but I think achieving what, at least from what my perspective, achieving what they want to achieve, I think, would work better if they just had a single stat line for a squadron and put it on one big hex base. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. So, well, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's uh, it's a good idea, but obviously, you know, you and I don't have any <laughs> the decision making power really over whether something that's considered. I kind of wonder if, considering the fact we're this deep into the the beta, if that idea was already considered and, and maybe discarded or something. Um, but it would still be interesting to see. That is one of the really cool things. Like you, I thought was really great about the. Uh, Halo Fleet Battles game is the way it handled having multiple small ships to a base and being able to like put your escorts for your larger ships on the same base and move it all together as one. Uh, I always thought that was pretty cool, but you know, we'll we'll see, we'll see. So. Yeah, yeah. I it's and it's a suggestion. I mean, like there's uh the little ships they don't have to be in contact. You know, they still move and. Uh, they have to maintain a coherency, but they still move and operate as a squadron. Yeah. You know, you only have to be in base-to-base contact for, like, linked weapons and whatnot. Um, so it's – that's – I would just say that was, like, the – I think the, the thing that really – I had a hard time wrapping my brain around. Right, right. So – all right. Well, you know, I have to get this game to the table myself at some point. Um, I have not had a chance yet to play the the uh, the beta rules. I the the one recent game I played, of course, as we talked about earlier in the show, was Dystopian Wars. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that as things get better with the pandemic and as we start to open back up, I'll be able to get a chance to play the game, get a little bit of a taste of the gameplay myself because. I don't know about you, Josh. I don't consider myself to be very good at just reading something and getting a feel for how it plays. I always have to get something to the table for I really feel like I understand the rules and really understand how one unit's going to interact with others on the table, right? I, I just don't have that knack for reading things and being able to envision it clearly in my head, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Like, I have to get things on the table. Like, even if it's something like, okay, the first game I initially, you know, don't like it. Like, my gut reaction is I don't like it. Yeah. I'm still going to play it three or four more times to get a good feel for it, you know, to make a good judgment call. Right, right. And you just, you can't do that by just reading it. You know, that was, that was one of my big things when I was still doing the beta testing for Spartan was like, okay, play it. You have an opinion on it. I appreciate that. Yeah. But... Have you played it? <laughs> right, right. Well, I think I think you and I both know folks who will sit down or and pick up a rule book and read something, and then be like, oh, we'll do it'll do bup da 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 and bup da 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 on the table, which means that this unit over here now has to do bup da 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 to counter it. And it's like I, I I'm always a little bit in awe of that ability, but I also like you, am sometimes 
suspect as to whether or not their their model in their head for how this thing is going to work is actually accurate or not you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah my skepticism is is great when yeah it's the uh kind of like that armchair quarterback syndrome right right <laughs> oh man all right well uh josh i think we're about out of time here for this episode uh did you have any other th- closing thoughts or anything else you wanted to get put out um, other than the fact I'm looking forward to trying out Dystopian Wars in its last iteration, and I'm looking forward to getting Firestorm on the table again. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> Glorious. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to what 2021 is going to have in store for us for both of these games, and I, like, like you, I think, am looking forward to what uh, War Cradle has in store for us. Uh, but that'll about do it for this episode of Exploding Dice Radio. As always, thank you so much for listening, both to this show and to the other shows in the Freebooters Network. If you have any feedback or have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show, you can always find us via the Exploding Dice Radio Facebook page, the Exploding Dice Radio YouTube channel, and in the episode discussion thread that I post up in the Man Battle Stations forums. You can always email us directly at the edrpodcast at gmail.com email address. So we're not too hard to get a hold of. You really have something that you want to tell us about. <laughs> Until next time, this is Ruck Dog saying good luck and good hunting. This is Seer K saying remember Dreamos. The music featured in this podcast is from the World of Warships soundtrack and is provided courtesy of the Wargaming Group Limited.